Joker. Five rounds? Seven, six, two millimeter. Full metal jacket. Leonard, if Hartman comes in here and catches us, we'll both be in a world of shit. I am in a world of shit. The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. So anyway, Ben. Yeah. First of all, who do we not have on the show right now? Gabe Rodriguez is... uh, M-I-A. Gabe Rodriguez. Uh... Is he in? Where, where, where the hell is he? Is he at the hotel? He's at the hotel, but I don't know what. He might still be in Texas. I don't know. He's traveling. I mean, he left. Why isn't he in Florida by now? Mm. I'm going to have to have a talk with that guy. But but who is on the show and taking his place right now? Um, a guy who has played at least one show on a bill with you, maybe more. I think it was three. You think three? I am going with three. I was going to say two. Okay. We can, we'll well, try, to, we can try to figure it out. We'll split the difference. Yep. Um, Go on, Ben. Come, come on. Mike Lustig. to introduce. All right, all so right. So you, uh, you have to do Gabe's. I got to do the Karnak thing? Basically. The, the, this whole show is ass backwards today. Yeah. Uh, Mike Lustig, uh, guitarist extraordinaire with uh, everyone's favorite uh, alt rock. What 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 was your category of band? What did they, how oh, did they God. describe you back? Can you start off with that. Hey everybody, it's Mike Lustig. <laughs> <laughs> what was Ruth Ruth categorized? I, what to, as? I never knew how to answer that question then, and I don't know. Well, what did your record rock. label say? A rock band. You were an all rock band from yeah. the nineties. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, that's its own. You genre, know what? The, right? the pressure was always to say pop punk, and I always felt like such a douchebag saying pop punk. You didn't feel pop punk? No. I mean, when you listen to your stuff, it's basically the same thing that all of us in Chicago were doing, which is ripping off Cheap Trick. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, I, the sto- I, I just, I found it amazing when I heard your backstory, because I met Mike 
in the early 90s, mid 90s? Yeah, probably like 92 or 3. We were both That's working really... at the Park Slope Copy Center. <laughs> oh, back to the back yeah. to the copy center. Yeah. Gabe's going to uh, miss this. That's fine. Well, he'll, he'll he'll hear it when we when we broadcast. Um <laughs> He's not going to listen to it. Are you kidding? That's true. But he doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit about the copy center. But uh, I was working at the Park Slope Copy Center and living on top of the Park Slope Copy Center in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And then Mike got hired. uh, And uh, the first thing I found out about Mike was that he was a musician. He had a band, which were two two out of three, like, strikes already. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this fucking guy. Uh Uh-huh. Um, Jealousy and, is a stinky cologne, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> and then I found out that he was making blues mixtapes for the ladies at the Park Slope Copy Center. Who were <laughs> a lady. Oh, oh, a lady. No. What? Someone, someone who Ben hated, but. Did I? Yeah, I, I you just, weren't a big fan of her. Uh, I don't even know who it was. Stella. She, oh, Stella? Stella! Stella. So you're making blues mixtapes? Uh, yeah, I don't know how in the nineties. Like, yeah, I was super like in the eighties. I was super into blues music. And, right. Uh, like, who was your guy? Marty Waters, probably. You could. It's okay. You can say Steve Ray Vaughan. I, I I know that's what you want to say, right? No, he. I mean, we have. I have a story about him, but uh, no, I was into like fifties Chicago blues and and Delta blues and okay. And then got good stuff, soul, you know, but nothing like, you know, Aretha, like she was a girl, we would start, she started talking music with me and she didn't know like who Aretha Franklin was, shit like that. Wow. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna make you a take. Was she 19? Yeah. And were you Donald Fagan? (laughs) Isn't Uh, that the lyric to Hey 19? Hey 19, that's Aretha Franklin. She don't remember the queen of soul. That's right. Hard times befallen soul survivors. She thinks I'm crazy. I'm just wow. growing old. Right, Gabe? How are you? You're, you're back. That was impressive. I'm here. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, good. everybody. It's Gabe Rodriguez. Hey, everybody. sound any good. One, two, three, four. You sound fine. Oh, that is a hotel curtain I'm looking at right there. Where am I? Where, where, where are you? You're at a Best Western. No, it's a... Uh, I'm going Red Roof Extended? In. No, no, no. State Bridge. State. State Bridge. La Quinta. Cambridge Suites in Lafayette, Louisiana. Why, why aren't you in Florida yet? What, what are you guys walking? <laughs> We're taking the long way. I tend all the way. Take the long way home. I was into Super Tramp in the 70s while these guys were clowning around with muddy waters. Well, they were great. Super Tramp was great. Nobody's got oh, a problem good. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, Thank no you. problem with that. But are you ever going to get to Florida again? Two more days. It's only a six day trip when you go eight. Hours a day. Well, I, I, it's tough. I can see that you're on the run, and uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, you don't want your identity. He's in the witness protection program. No, there's a light behind me. That's why you can't see my Whip face. Pro. Yeah. Well, why don't you put a light on in front of you? I don't know how to do it. I just got to the room. Okay, it's cool. <laughs> it's road trip game version. <laughs> so, Gabe, let me get you up to speed. Uh, 
Mike Lustig and I met at the Park Slope Copy Center in the early 90s, and I immediately wanted nothing to do with him because I knew he was a musician and that he had a band that was a working band. And that's a turnoff for me as another guy trying to make it in the music biz and work but at the copy center. But then we both double teamed this girl named Stella. Yeah, we double teamed the girl named Stella. Uh, and, but then he was making uh, mixtapes for the girls at the Park Slope Copy Center, and they were blues mixes. And there's nothing that turns me off more than the blues, at least in the early 90s. That was certainly the case. It would have been better if you were making Steely Dan mixtapes. I, I would have been slightly more yeah. into that. Yeah, but yeah. barely, barely. It's good stuff. You know who was in Steely Dan... Skunk Baxter. That's right. Thank you. Welcome to the show, Gabe. Oh, Mike, did you ever meet Skunk Baxter in your many travels? I met the Skunk Baxter of Chicago one time. <laughs> <laughs> Have uh, you met no, Greg I, Saran? How did you meet No, Greg? no. I just listened to that episode. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, I never met Skunk Baxter, unfortunately. So what? Are, what's the Stu Ray Vaughn story? So, uh, well, why don't we back up? To explain, uh, I think this is backing up. Yeah, but you need to back up just a little bit more because before Ruth Ruth, there was another band starring Mike Lustig and the man who became Chris Kennedy. They met in high school. Yeah. Chris before Kennedy. That, let's, before that, let's really back up and go to our pre-show. Which uh, so, Gabe, I was at the <laughs> Mike. You're just going to have to sit for this. All right, all right. I was at the uh, G-Man the other night, uh, checking out some bands as I do. And this guy comes up to me, don't, don't know who he is, apropos of nothing. I've got this, I've got this hand brace that I've, I'm wearing. And he comes up to me and he says, so, you know, what happened to your hand? Did you gabe it up? And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so gabe, gabe it up is, is gaining traction, at least around, you know, people who hang Around our metro. dozen friends? I, I didn't know who this guy was. You know, it, I mean, it, it's happening. It's happening. Whoa. Not only that, somebody else like was tweeting about how seeing you run up on stage and then run off stage like like a little mouse changed their life and changed their entire understanding of what music presentation could be. So you've been trending in my life in this trending. past week. Hey, let me ask you a question about that, <laughs> oh. Gabe and, and Scott. Yeah. This thing that you did, which I think of as like this classic local H move, where Gabe's only on stage for when he's needed. Right. Did you get that from someone else, or was that something you invented? Like, kind just get on stage. got it from, uh, I think, Pavement. Like, what Bob Nastanovich was doing in Pavement. Like, we were kind of like, oh, yeah, we should be doing this. But also, <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things where when Gabe would come to rehearsal, we'd just like, you're not doing anything. Why don't you play a tambourine part? Or why don't you sing this backup? So it was yes. organic, but then we saw pavement and we're like, oh, that's your role, dude. That's who you should be. Yes. And when there's when there's a backup part to sing at the second chorus or something and I got to sing the third chorus or whatever, I'm not going to stand there and, and look like an idiot. I'm going to leave the stage and come back. Yeah. You're going to scurry off stage and look like an idiot. Scurry. Like scurry. a scurry. Like, 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 like I said a mouse, you know, if you want to go rat. I mean, they're the same thing. Who are we kidding? So there was never any talk of finding stuff for Gabe to do for the whole set on stage. As, like, play bass? Well, <laughs> just tambourine for every song all, all through. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. Um, go, yeah, go there, there's a couple of songs where he plays, the, like, wait, maybe there's one song where you play tambourine the entire song? 
But I mean, it was never talked yeah. about that Gabe should just stay on stage. No, no, this was funnier. Yeah. This was more interesting to us. Yes, it was also way more Absence. confusing to <laughs> CLC fans. Yes. Why not do like a Clarence Clemens things where you, you get like a throne and you sit on it? <laughs> there was a great idea. idea. There was a birdcage one time. Remember that, Scott, in Baltimore? <laughs> yeah. where the, the drum riser was like four feet tall. Uh -huh. So says, I'm not step, I'm not riding on that. I'm not playing on that. But Scott says, no, but you are, Gabe. <laughs> and I was like, what? My head's going to hit the ceiling. If I stand up, no, stand up there. And I'm up way high. That was a great moment in Gabe history. Was the eight by ten club? In I was going to ask if that was the eight by ten. Yeah, eight by ten. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the other weird thing that happened this week, and and then we can start the show, is uh, Justine is wearing this sh shirt by this band Raised Fist, and I don't know if you can see that, but I don't know if you see who's on there raising their fist. Oh, oh yeah, is it Gary, Gary Coleman? Coleman. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck? And she goes, oh, I didn't even realize that was him. And I was just like, oh, my God. I got to get Gary Coleman out of my life. Was that Heidi? That was my cat. Okay. <laughs> the real question is, how did you sprain your hand? Another bar fight? Uh, maybe. Maybe there was a, an altercation in L.A. when Justine and I went on a trip. And maybe that uh, caused this I think I have carpal tunnel and I didn't want to say anything about it while we were on tour but at the beginning of the tour I went to the doctor and he was like uh, yeah you know nothing's broken but you know you might want to do these exercises and ice it and stop doing what you're doing and I'm kind of like well I can't you know I have to so he gave me all this literature and, and the literature says stop the activity that's causing you pain the activity that was causing me pain was playing guitar. So, so <laughs> that fucking cat. So now I, I uh, now I can kind of like try to take care of it, and hopefully it goes away. But for the three weeks, it was it was pretty painful. I mean, it was kind of cool actually because the pain was so intense that it was like getting high. You know, it was like you know, getting like a tased. This was during a show. You're feeling this? Oh yeah, yeah, it was bad. Oof. It was really bad. I didn't want to say anything because I don't want people going, that's why he fucking sucks or, you know, something like that. Some songs were harder to play than others. But uh, I think I can get on top of it. So. All right. There's that. All right. Okay. How long are you going to be wearing that brace, do you think? Uh, I don't know. You know, like, in, in all the stuff it says to, like, sort of, uh, I mean, he suggested I wear the brace. I don't even know if it's helping. It's stupid. It's, uh, I don't know, it, my, it, it, it stops me from moving my thumb, which stops the sudden lightning bolts of pain, which is good. Hey everybody, it's Mike Lustig. <laughs> so tell us about the first band you were in. Is, is that what you want to know, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. So I think where you're going with this. So like, yeah, I met this Christianata in high school. And, uh, Chris Janata, you say? Chris Janata. It's not Christian Ada. No. Okay. No. Uh, and Chris was like, at the time, was writing super pop stuff. And I had, uh, like, when I was a kid, I was, uh, my musical taste was all over the place. And I liked punk and I liked a lot of classic rock. 
and uh but when i started playing a lot of guitar my guitar teacher was the heavy into blues mm. which is how that started right and um so when i met chris that was i was like die hard learning about all these guys that i didn't know about and trying to play like, who? like that hound dog taylor and uh you know the guitar players freddie king bb king all the you know no one completely bizarre but uh earl hooker you know yeah whatever i was going as deep as i could and back then without the internet it was like you know going to record stores and whatever records i could find that looked cool i'd get them right anyway so chris is a is a obsessive songwriter and when i met him and he had a gig his guitar player quit and he asked me to play a show that was like a week away and uh it was a lot of classic rock covers and stuff, but then when we started getting more into it, he just changed his writing style completely to be like blues rock. Really? And it was, the, yeah, and it was like the late 80s, like 88, 89, when like Robert Cray was big and Steve Ray Vaughan and George Thorogood and like. Blues Hammer. <laughs> from Ghost World. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, that's a lot of what was on MTV, was that kind of roots rock. Right. You know? Robert Cray was like pretty big. Yeah, that yeah, Strong yeah. Persuader album was huge. Right. Yeah, Tracy um, Chapman. <laughs> just, just I don't know stop. if that qualifies as blues, but um, he knows what he's doing. Don't don't encourage I know, him. I know. Um, but anyway, so Chris started writing like that, and we got signed fast. Like I, we got signed. I was a year out of high school, and we got signed. And to what uh, label? Mercury. Oh, wow. And the name uh, of your band was? Janata. What? It was his last name. Okay. It was like a Bon Jovi <laughs> kind of league. Gotcha. Perfect. <laughs> it, it was Jersey, right? It was, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, we, we batted a thousand with bad band names. Uh, <laughs> but uh, how did you get signed so fast to Mercury? What was that? What happened there? Chris. Is that good? Well, Chris, it was insanely, um, and something that I'm not, but like Chris would go for stuff. He has no problem writing anybody, sending demo tapes to anybody, getting rejected a zillion times. But someone at BMI took a real liking to him, uh, this guy Mark Freed, and um, got us a bunch of showcases. And uh, we ended up getting a manager who was like a real manager. He managed... Uh, Joe Jackson and Iggy Pop and you know, like a real roster of acts and yeah. what was that guy's name? Barry Taylor. And um and then labels started coming to see us. And they were getting us great like opening act slots. So before we were signed, I guess, we opened for like Southside Johnny. We opened for Lonnie Mack. Wow. Um, you know, like big you know, shows we had no business being on <laughs> right. and at clubs, you know, at good clubs. Um, so, uh, and then we got signed to Mercury, but it was all like blues rock and pretty not great. Cause we didn't, right. we didn't know what we were doing and we were really young at it. And, um, is that where you were going with this, Ben? Well, yeah, I wanted to hear about the Janata years because that's what blows my mind about Ruth Ruth is that out of Janata, this whole other fucking thing happened. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and so Janata went on again. like, so we put out an album and actually we got, 
decent response on the radio. Um, and but we toured like crazy, and we got all opening acts for uh, classic rock bands. So like we toured, we started off and we did like we opened for like Edie Brickell for a couple wow. weeks, Grant Parker, but then we got the Kinks for a month, um, <laughs> which was amazing. Wow, um, that and all co- changed your head. Yeah, it was incredible, and we and that was like a big. The record I think had just come out, and we played in Dallas where the song was doing wet, well because that guy Redbeard was playing it. You know that DJ Redbeard? No. He was like a, like a Texas... <laughs> he was like the Scott Muni of Texas. Or, okay. What <laughs> album was the, were the Kinks touring? A record called UK Jive. Mm. Probably the single worst Kinks your, album. Your favorite. Is that the one with Come Dancing? No. no. Are you kidding? <laughs> What's the matter? I believe that one was called Come Dancing. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't fucking know. I was, I was uh, over the kinks by then. Come Dancing was, was, was like... was 83, uh, 82. Yeah. Remember, was, that was an <laughs> arena tour. Didn't we talk about this? We were at that show together. Oh. Not, yeah. I mean, we didn't know each other, but didn't we both see them at the Meadowlands? With Brian yeah, Adams with Brian opening Adams up? opening. Yeah. Yeah. Cuts like a knife. Yeah, that was Come Dancing. So this is okay. six years later or whatever. Right. Um, so, I mean, what did you learn from seeing those guys every night uh if you can it was funny when when i came on your show about sponge Uh it was kind of a similar thing um in reverse so like sponge uh vinnie was the friendliest guy in the world i had a very different experience than blake had right um, I, I, I would imagine you would. You know, you're, but, you're a bit nicer than Blake is. We need to talk about Fig Dish too, by the way. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll. But uh, the band were unapproachable in Sponge. They were all business. Never talked to them. Never met them. But Vinny was like, you know, Mister Charm. Mm. The Kinks were the reverse. The Kinks, the band, super friendly. After soundcheck, they'd hang out. Was talk. Dave there? Dave and Ray are both there, but they had separate buses. Yeah. And they'd come in for sound check and leave, come in, do the show, leave. Right. And we did a month with them. And on the very last night, we hadn't said a word to them. And on the very last night, Chris and I were like, we got to meet them. And so we like went and knocked on their door <laughs> and said, hey, like, you know, it was our last night, pleasure. And they were like, oh, yeah, you guys sounded great. Like, they never heard us. Right. <laughs> 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 But it was fun watching them. Are you saying that Dave and Ray had their separate bus, or Dave had a separate bus, Ray had a separate bus, and the band yeah. had a separate bus? Yeah. There were three I buses. Don't think, I don't think Dave and Ray were talking, from what I could tell. Wow. <laughs> so it's during this period that you guys opened up for Steve Ray? Well, yeah. So, like, so we did a few more kind of big tours, but then it was winding down, uh, that, like, that, like trying to promote that album. Like the song had died at radio. That album was winding down, and at the very end, our agent who worked for um, his name was Bobby Brooks, and the name what's why is it escaped me? What's the huge agency? Uh, I see him. And no, uh, uh, it'll come to me. I mean, they're gigantic. Um, AA, CAA, CAA, yeah. Right. Um, so he got us this show opening up for. Uh, the shows where Stevie Ray died at. Yeah. 
so it was us that like i got a call i'm i'm, I'm still living so you were in at alpine Al- valley yeah um yeah that's crazy uh yeah i'm like i'm still living at my mom's like i hadn't even gotten a chance to move out yet because we got signed so fast after high school and we had come off the road and i'm in my mom's kitchen i got a phone call from my manager like oh you're gonna like next week you're opening up for clapton Alpine Valley. It's us. So it's us, Robert Cray, Steve Ray Vaughan, Clapton. And yeah, it was, I mean, that was fucking. The blues tour of the decade. Yeah. Century. It was, it was uh, nerve wracking. And that show, and we were so bad at meeting people at that show. Like the first night. Oh, Blake is right. Noel, kind of. Not really. But I'll tell my version of that. Yeah. Okay. But uh, no, but as far as like us approaching hugely famous people, that didn't, because, you know, we knew they're just on a different plane. Right. Us. You don't want to uh, bother them either, you know? Right, right, right. And so like the first night, aside from the people on the bill, Bonnie Raitt was backstage. Jesus. And Jeff, and Jeff Healy came out and played the encore because um, oh. he was huge at the time. And we didn't meet a single person, didn't talk to anybody. Second night, it was two shows. Second night, right? the other guys in the band, I don't know if they met anyone, but I was like, this is my dream. I'm going to fucking meet everybody. So I walked up to Clapton and like tapped him on the shoulder and introduced myself, and he gave me the biggest dead fish handshake of my <laughs> life. Uh, he was totally uninterested. Steve okay. Ray, I did the same thing, and he was super nice. Um but also like Buddy Guy was there and he talked my ear off for like an hour, which yeah, was fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was fun. And then at the end of the show, Shit. it was crazy. Like, cause was everyone was, yeah, it was, it was really creepy because it was so foggy. Like anyone, I've read like posts from people who were at that show and everyone says the same thing. Like the fog was so thick, like we couldn't, our van couldn't go back to the hotel. And everyone was like, they're going to fly in this? Like, yeah, it, man. It, it was an obvious, like, this is How? dangerous. Fuck. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to say, how did uh, Buddy Guy get out of there? But he probably flew in the same one as Clapton, and everything was fine. Yeah. 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 I remember when I woke up the next morning, and, and I put on the TV, and they said Clapton was dead. Like, oh, they, right. They, they didn't know yet. Right. I was going to go to Buddy Guys that night because I was like, they're all going to go over there. So, so Legends? Check them out. Or, or, yeah, it's a Legends. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I didn't. But yeah. but good thing I w- didn't. It would have been a waste of my time, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, that was horrible. And our agent actually was on the helicopter. He died too. Bobby oh, Brooks. wow. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah, it was fucked up. It was, it was a really... Uh, it was a weird thing. Was so that the last that... ever Janata show? No. So we recorded another record. Uh, we recorded another record and we got dropped. We recorded mm-hmm. this record with the guys who produced Julia Fordham. Which, mm-hmm. Do you know? remember her? She was yeah. like kind of, I don't know. What was she like? The uh, Diana Krall of her day or something. She was like okay. very jazz, like jazz <laughs> pop kind of totally not our style but chris was really into her and thought her record sounded good and right and we made this like horrible record and uh recorded it and got dropped 
But then we started playing. We realized like, all right, we're going nowhere. Like we, now we don't have a label. We never built a following. We just like opened for everybody. Right. So we're like, let's play as much as possible. And I, and being, having this, like, I was very into like punk and I was very into blues and both of those things. I was very much like, I want to pay my dues now. Cause I felt like I never got to do that. Right. I want to play like two in the morning on a Tuesday to nobody. So where are you living at this point? Are you living in Jersey at this point? Uh, I was either in Jersey or in Brooklyn. Okay. I had met a girl and she lived in Park Slope and I might have moved in with her by that point. So is this when you start playing? I could keep hearing about this Continental Club that you guys played at a lot. Is that at around this point? Yeah. So we were playing anywhere we could in New York and uh-huh. as much as we could. So we were really doing like three, four nights a week. Um, and then like after maybe a year of that, the band switched uh, the ba- the bass player quit the drummer quit we had a couple other bass players come in who were great this guy Mike Todd who was like a great bass player um, he left I can't even remember why but anyway then then we decided well fuck it we'll be a trio right and Chris switched to bass and Dave came in and then Chris started writing like punk, kind of punk songs out of mm-hmm. the blue and I loved that I was like this is fantastic and the songs that have were- anything to do with you no, it had to do, I think, with him, maybe with seeing what was going on with Green Day and all that, but also he right. he liked that stuff too. Like he, his taste was kind of all over the map and he, I think he also gave up trying to write what he thought he should write mm-hmm. and just like, like, oh, I feel like writing this and he just kind of went with it. And It's hard as a white kid to have ownership of blues music, isn't it? Oh my it? God. Yeah. 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 Although, if you were going to do it, the late 80s, early 90s was the time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, so Chris started writing like that. The music changed. And then, um, so we got a manager. And then they kind of, our manager, I think, was the one who was like, listen, you're, he knew Janata. And he kind of convinced us, like, that name, like, you're dead. Like, as soon as a label hears that name, no one's signing you. Right. Like you're not going anywhere with that name. And we changed it and changed it very fast. And the name stuck, unfortunately, because I hate the name Ruth Ruth. Right? <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, I mean, we, we've all, you know, nobody here has a good band name. So, I mean, <laughs> please, you're, you're in uh, company. Well, the here. name, the name is from the worst <laughs> movie of all time, which is The Incredible Shrinking Woman with Willie Tomlin. Wow. Wow. Well, I wouldn't say that, but. But okay. Maybe not the worst movie yeah. of all time, but it's pretty fucking bad. Uh, and there's a character, Dr. Ruth Ruth, who I think either wants to save the world or wants to shrink the world. I can't even remember which. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Chris was like big on that name on one night. And, uh, <laughs> and I couldn't beat it. I couldn't come up with anything. And I was like, all right, whatever. And like thinking it'll change. Like right. no way we're sticking with that. It just... We never got around to changing it. And everybody, our manager was like, it's a great name. Like people, everyone we knew seemed to be like, that name is fantastic. It it might as well be the clash, you know? Right, right, right. (laughs) uh, So whatever, that was our name. We talk a lot about on this show, like the nineties major label 
feeding frenzy in Chicago. But what was that like for you in New York? Was it was it crazy or was it just kind of? It was like, a little crazy. It was in that we just couldn't believe we were once again getting courted by people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually when I was when we were working at the coffee shop, and that was like the age of faxes. And I would be, I mean, we were making what, Ben, like $7 an hour or something? Six. Six? Oh, rolling in the dough. Right. And I was getting faxes on the store copy machine with like offers from Island Records. We were just <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, it just felt like otherworldly. Uh, I talked to Joe Bassa today and he, uh, he still hasn't forgiven you. Yeah, well, that was a mistake. Although he says... <laughs> He told our old drummer that like Island fell apart soon after that anyway. So, oh, who told you that? Joe told our old drummer that. No, that didn't happen, man. No, no. Look, look at what happened to me. It's all good. I was working uh, at Subway, getting calls from Joe, but but that's not my journey. It's the same. No, it's, I mean it's the same. I know. Every it's all the same shit. Hey, I was getting uh, my royalty checks when I was working at Park Slope Copy Center. So. Yes. <laughs> It's magic, I tell you. The Park Slope Copy Center, that's like where you got to go if you want to make money in the music business. I was reaping the benefits of your royalty checks with the instant 70-inch TV and Crash Bandicoot. and The parties? We did it. Yeah, the parties were just us in Ben's apartment above the shop playing PlayStation. Yeah. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So... So you're getting courted by yeah. Island and, yeah, so, and who else? American Recordings? Well, a subsidiary of American that was called Venture. So what happened was, I can't. I remember Roadrunner, uh, Howie Abrams at Roadrunner wanted to mm-hmm. sign us. Joe wanted to sign us. There were maybe a couple others. I think Sony uh, 550 might have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Gabe Honky Toast label, 550. Oh, my God. <laughs> But Chris and I, having come out of Mercury, uh, we were convinced the major labels were like the devil. Yeah. Like we had already had this whole run and nothing came of it. And there were a million instances, even though we were getting great shows, where we felt like they blew certain opportunities. Like we had one, like one story that we always tell is the, they couldn't get our song on the big on WNEW, which was the big rock station in New York at the time. And they told us like it's it's just not going to happen. Mm. And the the single was called "The River," and so Chris and his girlfriend came over to my house, and we got a fish tank and filled it with gummy fish, and wrote like Janata love like like something about the river on the fish tank, like some water fish connection. But basically, you know, we sent WNEW like 60 pounds of candy in a fish tank and they added the song the next week. Oh, it we worked. Like, yeah. And we were like, Can't do fucking Mercury Records couldn't get us on there. We just had to give them candy. Right. And it worked. So that's probably why you didn't go with Joe Basso and the yeah, uh, so, Polygram so, group and everything. Yeah. So the person who seemed like the most, that would have fought the hardest was the smallest label which was the subsidiary of American so that was why we chose it Uh, it was a huge mistake Um, because the woman she was I mean she was also a version of the devil I guess 
<laughs> get down to it. Uh, she was uh, Amanda Shear Demi. She was uh, Ted Demi's wife. Uh, yeah. The director. Yeah. And yeah. Rick Rick Rubin had given her director. Like, her label. Uh, I don't know. Not so much. <laughs> okay. Ted. Don't speak ill of the dead. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So he did bring Matt Dillon to see as a Continental. That was fun. That's not bad. Uh, but uh, yeah. So Amanda. Amanda hated our manager and it just okay so I've heard this did you have like the worst manager nobody liked your manager maybe yeah what the fuck what was your manager doing like just yelling at people and just... no he wasn't aggressive like that but he have we said his name his name's Brian Ross oh, nice man, guy like he, he was not a dick but he was um I don't know. It's it's hard to know why he didn't do well with people. Um, well, that's a good trait in a manager. To not be liked? Yeah. It, I mean, it maybe. To not, maybe. To not be able to reach out to people and have them do what he wants them to do. It's a great trait in a manager. You chose well, I mean, my friend. It, if you're... I don't know. I could see it working if you're managing you two or something. Or if you're like, Peter Grant managing yeah, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, right. But uh, Gabe. he was he stuck with Ruth Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, so who was I, it at Ventrue that you thought was going to fight hardest for you? Mrs. Amanda. Yeah. Oh, at Mrs. I Ed mean, it was only her and like an assistant. That was like the team. Right. But then you hated her. By the end, because she was, we felt they were killing our song basically became a radio hit, mm -hmm. but we felt like they were killing the record intentionally. It was crazy. Why? I mean, why would they do that? No, uh, I mean, why did you feel that? Things like we were like, we were told we were like the num number one or top five requested songs in Boston. And we'd go to Boston to play a show. There'd be one record in the rusted root yep. section you know, stuff like that. And then we'd call them and be like, you got to get records to Boston. Nothing. And right. They'd say, well, it's early. People don't know who you are yet. And we're like, we got kids coming up to us after the show saying they can't find the record. Right. What the fuck? Oh, right. we'll do it. We'll do it. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing, this is you know? your fucking job. This is all you got to do. Right. 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 And so knowing that and knowing how much animosity there was between Amanda and Brian, we were like, this is just brutal. I think the label said to us one time, oh, you know, you're a young band, like next album, they'll get it. Mm -hmm. We were like, this is, you know, like this is the lightning striking moment. Like this, you could build on this. Right. But no one seemed to care.
So here's a story I have to tell on your show, okay? Which is man cow. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, I really? didn't hear about it. What, what yeah. From Ben or like? No, I read your article about it. Oh, okay, so yeah, so Ben said to me the other day, "Oh, like, what do you what do you want to talk about?" And I, I hadn't even thought about it, but then thinking about Chicago, I was like, "Oh God, I got to talk about that." Yeah. But um, the main thing about man cow was that we did his show. 10 times I mean and it sucks you're talking to the converted brother you've done it oh if you find a band who's done it more than me alright so you know I mean it's really it's really hard like 6am and you can't get and he doesn't understand how tough it is either you know he doesn't he's like why are you why do you have such this face on your face? I'm like, because I'm miserable. Yeah. I'm absolutely miserable. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. But you tell what happens every well, so single our, time you go on there. So we never drew a, like, it never translated to people at a show. We'd mm-hmm. always be like, we're playing the Metro tonight. 
like come down and there'd be like three people who heard but he was legit a fan of he uh, loved the song yeah he loved our one single, song right. and that, that was all he cared about he thought it should be the national anthem like all right. over it and um and every time he came through town he'd have us on uh but it didn't translate to, and especially to his audience i guess right um but you couldn't say to the label like ah oh, we're not doing that because it's the biggest show in chicago so yeah you kind of got to do it yeah. but then it ended in a trans complete train wreck which was <laughs> we played at uh the junction in grand rapids junction right. no the intersection intersection right um and the next morning we were supposed to be at man cow which mm-hmm. already is fucking <laughs> hell right because so we bought like three bottles of jim beam and we decided we're gonna drink One for each of you yeah like we're gonna drink as much as we can before man cow just to try to either either get kicked off forever or have something that will make something happen make something happen right. where people will want to come see us right people yeah put you on the map on yeah the man cow. no i love it it's a good right? idea so i far. mean i'm into it's it. contrived it was yeah. totally contrived but we were like, we're going to take one for the team and do this. Yeah. So we drank and uh, we were at the Days Inn in Chicago, of course. and uh, The Rock and Roll Days Inn. Yeah. Yeah. And um, our like Chicago rep, Amy Kaplan, came and picked us up and we were on the floor drunk and she was, she almost didn't bring us, uh-huh. uh, but, but in the end she did. <laughs> and we walk in and fucking, and this had never happened before. But Man Cow had um, Kenny Arnoff there to play with us. And he had acoustic guitars for us and a kit So why Kenny. was Kenny Arnoff there? Who was it because Because he like, joined the pump, Pumpkins around that time. So was yeah. he in town rehearsing with the Pumpkins or something? What the Maybe. fuck was he doing there? Uh, it wasn't present. I mean, if it was, I don't remember, but he was Clearly. just in the room yeah and they were like we got a surprise you you're gonna play with Kenny Arnold <laughs> we were like <laughs> that's not the surprise you think it is man no and we're and Chris, real surprise for Dave when, what did Dave do da- oh well David quit at this point there was Nakata <laughs> was oh, right then and drummer. there he quit right Nakata there. had also smoked a ton of pot so at, at this point we had changed from a trio Dave left and we had uh, this guy Christian Nakata who was a great drummer and uh, Michael Koch from East Plum, if you know him. Right, My, yeah. Um, so he joined our band for a while. We did some shows with Eve's, Eve's Plum. They were great. Gabe? Double Door. Oh, was it? No, it was Metro. What's that? What is that? Your, is that Heidi? What is that? That's my lamb, my big lamb. <laughs> Joseph, Wait, what is that? <laughs> wow, that's his his lab. He's got a lab. Oh, he like he's a chemist. He walks around with a lab. Is it Domino's Pizza showing up? Yeah, Domino's on the way. <laughs> um, Scott, were you so, still uh, following Eve's Plum when they became Vitamin C and she had some big graduation song hit? What was the name of that song, Mike? No, I didn't know. Graduation that. song. Yeah, Vit- we oh, it was called the graduation song. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember this at all. I thought the graduation song was that other band that uh, from Minneapolis. 
the closing time song, didn't they? Oh, Tonic? I don't. I, no, she had a massive hit. You would know it if you heard it. I probably wouldn't. I, I'm pretty lucky. It was um, the verses. The, the verses were a ripoff of uh, all the young dudes. Mm, what was it in the Cruel Intentions soundtrack? Maybe. Might have been. I mean, if it was in that movie, I might have heard it. Gabe, you remember that movie? I remember the movie. I don't remember the song. I'm looking at it. What movie had Ruth Ruth's song and it was Urban Legends or some shit like that? There were a couple. The oh, one you called classic. me about was Joyride. Oh, Joyride's <laughs> a great movie. Yeah, Congratulations, yeah. Our, our song my was so... Well, <laughs> Ben calls me and says, Hey, you never told me your song's in Joyride. And I said, It's because it's not. And he's he's like, yeah, it is. And I rented it, and it's like prominently featured, but no credit at all. What? Yeah. And we called BMI, and they were like, can't really do anything about it. No, that's not. Come on. They're like, you're gonna spend, you're gonna spend fifty grand in lawyers to make ten thousand dollars. That's insane to me. So they can just get away with that. All right, so we're getting further and further away from your story. Yeah. I don't even so what was the story, we Manco? Kenny Manco. Aronoff's in the studio. Kenny right. Aronoff's in the studio. We're too dumb to say we can't play. And man, but anyway, the, we played with him. We played a song and it was terrible. And uh, Chris couldn't sing a note because he was. I mean, it was the morning. And what was the look on Kenny's face? Like, could you tell? He handled it, it like a pro. Did he just have those big plastic man? sunglasses on oh so yeah he couldn't tell yes. what was going on but yes. he had his drumming gloves on but uh but he was like Sleep and he was shirt. even complimentary he's like man cat was like that was the worst fucking thing i've ever heard and kenny arms going i don't know it kind of had like an eggs on main street sloppy kind <laughs> oh, right, you know, of course. like trying to be nice about it kenny going for that yeah yeah um but uh it just came off horribly but the amazing thing was that man cow after listening to him for fucking however many shows we did talk about partying and beer and we did his St. Patrick's Day shows which were like I mean you're playing with like porn stars on stage and people chugging beers you know green beer at six in the morning and after all that a band shows up drunk and he had a conniption fit he's like this is the most unprofessional fucking thing I've ever seen get the fuck out of my studio that was it wow and uh, our label was pissed at us like you know but we never got invited back, so. So in one way, you win. I mean, I, I don't think the thing that, and we've done a lot of stuff with Mankow, a lot of stuff with Mankow, and uh, I, I just don't think he understands, and I'm not, and this is not a slight against Mankow, because I owe him a thing or two, but mm-hmm. uh, the thing that he doesn't understand is how hard it is to get up four in the morning get down there by five in the morning yeah. and then just stand around for two hours while like you know it's like we got local h here and he's like bing 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 and someone's like Brr. and i go <laughs> okay well i'm gonna say something and it's like no nothing you know i mean the nothing. last time i went on there i stood there and i swear to god i did not say a word <laughs> and i he bet. didn't even notice I bet. yeah yeah he had no idea and i'm like listen manco love you love your show but uh, you know, it's like I, I can't. What's I'm, I? Why am I here? I don't know. But it's and and we have this thing where we go back and forth all the time. He's like, he's like, you know, you don't like me. You know, it's like it's not that I don't like you, dude. It's just that like I don't know why I'm here because yeah. you don't need me, 
you know, and then every time we walk in, he just plays this recording that we did from 1996 of High Five Motherfucker. And he goes, Local H is here. And he plays it like, like you know, the world's hot, hot as shit DJ. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's not me. I'm not playing right now. Like, wow, you really sounded good this morning. I'm like, that wasn't me. Oh, my God. So You know what our, our thing? So da- our first drummer, Dave, we did a uh, the St. Patrick's thing in the morning. And Dave. I've been for- to one of those before with the Fig Dish guys. And it was oh. brutal. <laughs> I watched a guy drink a beer through his eye socket. At oh. <laughs> like. I was yeah. anyway. Dave, <laughs> when when we were done with our song, grabbed Mancow and French kissed him in front of the whole crowd. Like we finished our song, Dave gets out from behind the drums and grabs the back of his head, and like what? he had his tongue in Mancow's mouth for a good five seconds. <laughs> and uh, so our tagline on that radio station when we were going to be on the show would be like, "And Ruth, Ruth is coming up," and then they'd be like in the you know distorted voice you know with that gay guy <laughs> every time right right, 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 right. <laughs> that was our big intro yeah <laughs> cool wow uh, congratulations yeah wow 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 so then so, you go over <laughs> how did you yes. get hooked up with epitaph and deep elm like did you know so john we want, over at deep elm and yeah john liked us and he put out a 45 like way before Ben was a big John fan. I used to see ben. that Deep Elm guy all the time at Brownies and these other shows, and he was always riding his bike around New York City, and he'd come into the shows, he'd have his bike lock with him the for seat. some reason. The seat, right, right, he'd right. he carry a seat. Hey, hey, hey. Ben Which doesn't ben? like John. No. Ben did not like the bike seat look. Ben doesn't like anybody. Ben but doesn't like anybody. Anyway. It's amazing that you're getting further in your music career, Ben. It's hard to believe. Hard to believe. <laughs> hard to believe. <laughs> I'm the Brian um, Ross of, uh, of uh, whatever. Of, of <laughs> the same yeah, industry. You know, you got, you got kind of an yeah. exile in Main Street vibe going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, always. Oh, my um, God. Okay, sorry. So you're yeah, going so, over to Deep Elm, and we, you're going over to Epitaph. You're making records with Brian. That's fucking pretty cool. It was great. I mean, we wanted off of American. They wouldn't let us off. But they would let us do an EP with Epitaph to try to build the name of the band. And um, we couldn't do a full album. They only let us do an EP, which sucks, because if it was a full album, that would have been great. Um, Masterpiece, yeah. Yeah, it is your masterpiece. I think it is, too. I think it's the best, by far the best sounding record, the best songs. Who did you make, who did you make that that first American record with, the Laughing Gallery record with? Ted Nicely. Oh, Ted's great. (laughs) He was great, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had like the mixing was rough. The the guy mixing it had some problems and like left. Um, but the epitaph thing was really fast and it was like everything kind of worked just as it as you imagine it when you're a kid. Yeah, fast and like the all the sounds were great and so yeah, epitaph was great and they promoted it as much as they could. But it was an EP, so like not much happened and then. Basically, we started recording again for American without their involvement with uh, Chris Shaw, if you know him. Yeah, um, Chris, great guy. Yeah, Chris and awesome. um, yeah, but and then RCA bought that out and released that record. So we got yeah. bounced around like I mean it was crazy, um, 
and just never, you know, never felt like we had a footing anywhere and we we're always like the new act. What, um, wait, what, did something actually come out on Deep Elm? Well, that 45. Seven inch. Yeah. Oh, okay. But then of what? What was Deep the Elm got credit on the, I think, it, you know, I can't even fucking remember. I feel like John helped put that deal together somehow. He might have known Brett and made the suggestion and so John might have like an executive producer credit on the back of the I think there was something. those were songs that you were going to put on Deep Elm and then um maybe Brett yeah, maybe heard we'd... them and flipped over them and wanted to put put them on Epitaph. Yeah, that, that might have been what right. happened. I swear I can't even remember. seeing you guys with Everclear at the BRU thing is that is that possible what is, what is the BRU a festival BRU was that that uh, was that in Hartford where, where, where was that it's David? in Providence Providence is that the thing uh, with like a second stage yep. and a right did Three Chris hang at the Lupos, lighting rig at Lupo's oh at Lupo's yeah we played Lupo's with them and Eve's Plum actually Oh, it was right, right. Yeah. Yes, um, I remember well, we they busted out a cover of uh, "Sin City," and it was the best thing. Yes, it was that's the right. They used to do made. that. Yeah, yeah. They, when we good. started with them, their big cover was "No Fun." Oh yeah, and then it, and then it became "Sin City." Yeah, yeah. Um, Craig knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were great. I mean, we and it was fun with them because we started with them maybe like two weeks before Santa Monica broke. Wow. 
So it was really fun to watch that like escalation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you do something with Mike Watt? We did one gig with Mike Watt. We did a lot of like one-offs that were really fun. And even Janata did so many one-offs. We like Janata did a one-off with Joan Jett, uh, with like, just like crazy shows. Um, you we were did, also, yeah. wasn't there a tour where it was maybe you were with no doubt for a while. Was that also Everclear? Was it Everclear? Yeah. No doubt. And you, yeah, the, and no doubt like came on the, we were out with Everclear for like six weeks or something. And no doubt did maybe like 10 shows on it. And that was the same thing. That was like right when they broke. Right. Like, right. Uh, they were starting this, to outgrow Everclear and yeah, right before it, your right. eyes. Everclear, yeah. Everclear was headlining. Yeah. And, um, and Greg, I saw Greg a couple of years ago. It's like right before COVID. And he was saying how like when they left that tour, Gwen was like, I don't know. We've been going at this for so long. I don't know how much more we can do. And Greg was like, oh, you're going to make it. Like, And he was like the big star. Right. And she was like, I don't know. It's like really rough. Like two weeks later, they're like the biggest band in the world. God, it's crazy. We were such um, drama queens. Just, you know, like, I don't know. I'm getting yeah. too old for this. Yeah. You're 25. Shut up. That's <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, we did, uh, I don't know. We did long tours with like Space Hog. <laughs> All right. We did a lot with. Uh, but so our laughing. shows. What's that? Gabe's laughing because we did some, we did a residency with Space Hog in New York. They were another one where I, those guys I could not get to know at all. Oh yeah? Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, the guitar player a little bit singer forget it um, I don't think they wanted to have anything to do with us right um, but again right when their first song was breaking and right yeah. um, but so our shows together so what do you I remember brownies brownies I we, and I remember a show on Lansdowne Street I don't remember the name of the club oh shit Lansdowne Street um, there was a big theater and I remember uh, the a- night was it Axis? yes yeah it was Axis yeah so yeah. we opened for you there and yeah. I remember you guys playing Surrender <laughs> not well there was no way we it played was great. well back then. I loved it um, and I remember Better Than Ezra were at the theater next door oh god for some reason what a bunch of insufferable pricks <laughs> I didn't I never met them I just saw them that night there was like some door that you could go through to the next building and watch the show. I remember seeing them like art, like yelling at their tour manager, like, I'm not doing this. I'm not having an interview with this guy. Like, he doesn't know anything oh, about me. I'm like, who would want to know anything about Nobody you? knows anything. Fuck <laughs> off. Some comedian just did some joke about them. and he, The joke was something like, it was like better than Ezra. <laughs> and they were like, you know who doesn't like better than Ezra? Ezra. <laughs> that might have been Norm MacDonald. Yeah, 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 I think yeah, it was actually. Norm. The funniest part about it's better than Ezra is that singer is so tall. And we played a show we opened for them. Remember this guy? Yeah, that's the show I'm talking okay, about. Well, I had to use his microphone. And it was like way over my head and I had to bring it I, I didn't know how to work the microphone because it was a weird Okay. I, I hate to uh, what are you about? break it to you, but everybody's microphone is <laughs> No, over he's really tall. He's like six five. Whatever. He's tall. You didn't you didn't just go for the Lemmy move? <laughs> Remember we we walked in and they and they and they were like giving us all this attitude and they're like, uh we're on tour with Dishwalla and we were supposed to go on a second. 
And they go, we're on tour with Dishwalla, and you're going on first. Dishwalla's going on second. I'm like, we don't give a fuck. You just pay us what we're supposed to get paid, and we'll run away from this and pretend that it never happened because that's what we really want. Fuck right. you, you know? <laughs> and years later, it's like, I really like that bet. I don't know why they don't like us. Because uh, you're a prick? <laughs> An untalented, tall prick? Uh-huh. <laughs> Fuck that man! All the way to the store. So talking about all these bands is making me feel better about Ruth. Ruth. Oh name. man, you guys better were... than Ezra Chumbawamba, Dishwalla. <laughs> I mean, we weren't that bad off. So many bad bad names back then. I know, like Local H, just terrible, terrible. So like, how were you able to insulate yourself from like? Like, just getting dropped and just feeling like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, I mean, what did you do? How did you navigate uh, that? After, like, the last version? Yes. And the last after, ver- the mo- I guess by like, that point, you were hardened, dropped. Oh, yeah. 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 It, I mean, and it, got, and it ended with, like... Or let, uh, you know, I'll make this all quick. Cause it, but you never had more than one album on any given label, right? RCA, there were two, oh, okay. but they made us, they not made us, but they gave us an ultimatum about changing our name. Okay. This is interesting to me. What the fuck? All right. So they, they told you they want you to change their, the name. Yeah. Otherwise they won't put out another record. Yes. RCA says this. Yes. How um, big were their balls? <laughs> to like, you know what I mean? I mean, they framed it as you'll never get on the radio like we didn't have a, a, we couldn't show up. We could barely play New York and draw a big crowd, mm-hmm. and so we're certainly not going to other cities and and drawing well. So the whole thing hinged on radio, right? But has and, that ever worked? Like changing the name, has that ever worked in history? Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> I don't know which is uh, <laughs> Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. Garfunkel. <laughs> they were. Wait, Tom what and Jerry. were they called before? Tom and Jerry. That's not true. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't think they were signed as Tom and Jerry. God, they may have been. If they were, if, if, if it was the boxer by Tom and Jerry, it would be my favorite song of all time. <laughs> as it is now, it's all right. Did you change your name then? So they yeah. changed their name. Yeah. Now, did that give you freedom to like, just say, fuck oh, it, we'll fuck do whatever no. we want. So, we just thought, we'll, we were like, all right, we'll do it. We'll change the name because we wanted to make another record. Like, right. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't have jobs and no right. like prospects or like yeah. either, you know, that or, and our manager is telling us you'll also never get another record deal. Right. So we're like, all right, let's do it. So we went and recorded with Matt Wallace, who's another <sighs> great producer. Yeah. And they put us up in LA to record at that studio. The other act in the studio was Axl Rose making that Chinese Democracy. That or endless yeah. Guns and Roses record. Yeah, so they RCA put us up in LA for like six weeks. Nice studio, real producer. I think they spent like four or five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I mean, what like, the fuck? Yeah, crazy amount of money, right? Fucking. Not only is Axl Rose there, but at, at the time we were there, Brian May was the guitar player. Yeah. Wait, wait, and wait. Brian May is the guitar player for Guns N' Roses? 
Yes. Do you guys know this? Has anybody ever heard this before? I've never heard this. I thought you were no. about to say Tommy Stinson, because didn't he wind up on Brian, Tommy's playing bass. Yeah, yeah. No, I know that. But So I mean, Brian May is Brian, the I don't know if he, was, he, he wasn't in Guns N' Roses, okay. but he was like, he was there every day playing the songs. Wow. He's got curly hair. <laughs> He's got a great it's tone. True. I mean, well, it was sense. fascinating. I mean, I didn't do it a ton, but a couple of times I went down to try to like hear it, and it sounded like Brian May's tone with Guns N' Roses. It was like weird. Man, I'd like I'd like to hear that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I never. I saw Axl Rose one time in the parking lot. He was like a hermit. <laughs> Uh, right. But Tommy, because he had recorded with Matt, was in our studio all the time. And nice. so he ended up singing on a couple of songs. And like, it was a real record. It, it was a shit show because the songs were all over the place. And I think at that point, Chris was like, didn't know what the fuck to write. He was like trying to get noticed. And then some songs were really like kind of his wheelhouse and other songs were totally outside of his wheelhouse yeah, he's been batted and was, around for the past yeah. few years you know and there was no direction from the label really um so uh whatever so we recorded it and then they said at the very end we mixed it the very end they said we're not going to put it out <laughs> and our money situation was you know we were supposed to get like 40 grand or something when it got released right and so we said to our manager, like, you've got to get this thing released. And he fought and they pulled some strings or whatever. And it got released. I really think it sold like six copies. What's the name? I bought one of those. What was the name I of bought band? one of those in Ma Madison, Wisconsin. It was Best called Night. Ultra V. We couldn't come up, again, couldn't come up with a name. It was the Clockwork Orange thing. We were like, <laughs> all right, Ultra V. Uh, so is it available on YouTube? Uh, you. You iTunes. I don't even know. Ben asked me. Is if it, it was available like... on the iTube? <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. probably somewhere. But I think you can get it on eBay for a penny. That's like almost a guarantee. We gotta we gotta have this be the the best one. There's some really bad songs on it, but there's some really good songs on it. And What's the it's best also song on it? it also has Paul Westerberg and Tommy Stinson on one song. Which is kind of cool. Ooh, Ben yeah. would love to hear that. Uh, yeah. What's the best song on the record? I don't know, Ben.
But but tell them the Kid Rock story. Oh my God! Oh, you got a Kid Rock story? <laughs> I got a Kid Rock story, and it relates uh, to this album, which is why I brought it up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I know so, this story. You do? Yeah. From, one of the songs. Ben? One of the songs was. No, I I don't need Ben to tell me stuff about you. Uh, he does his own one, research. One of it's the songs amazing. was re-recorded by Kid Rock, right? Kid Rock, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have... We'll wait for you, baby. So hold on now. You and Ben both get royalties from songs that people took from yours and re-recorded? Chris got it. Chris got Oh, okay, song. okay. <clears throat> so I don't get... I, all, all I got is the story. Okay. And this one is even Easy, Whitey, story. you're cutting deep. <laughs> Mike, do you have a? Is there a Gene Simmons story that's the same thing, or is that somebody else? That was also Chris. Chris went to some industry thing and said to Gene Simmons, "Like, how do you work a room like this?" Because Chris was unknown and it was all industry people. And Gene Simmons said to Chris, "I don't work the room. The room works me." Oh Jesus! Okay, but so Kid Rock, how did he wind up? Oh, so. Chris wrote this song that's on that Ultra V record called Playboy Mansion, mm. which, by the way, I, I don't know, Ben, if you ever heard the demo. The demo beats the recorded version because that was the that was like at the beginning of Pro Tools and that album, that song got like, you know, when you record a song and like Pro Tools just kills any groove that was there. Like they were working on it while we were mixing it. It just it never sounded right. And, but anyway, uh Someone took a liking to that song. Rick Rubin really didn't like it, but someone did, and it ended up getting played for Kid Rock, and Kid Rock insisted on doing that song, and Rick Rubin tried to talk him out of it, and he said, no, this is shit. Like, we're going to do this song. And he, like, wrote his own, like, one verse to it and then split the publishing with Chris. Uh Um, and And he turned it into... Chris's version is kind of this kitschy... It's not misogynistic. A kitschy, like, song about, you know, like, Playboy Club in right. the 60s. Like, it's going for that vibe. Yeah. But irony is not something that Kid Rock does. Right. So Kid Rock turned it into, like, like the there's a breakdown part. And Kid Rock does, says something like, bitch, what you say to me? Like, that kind of thing. Where it's just like... <laughs> well, it's called Coochie Mountain? Right. He called it Coochie Galore. Oh, Coochie Galore. In the in the song in the original demo, Chris sampled Sean Connery saying "Pussy Galore," right. and we couldn't get the rights to it, so it changed it to "Coochie Galore," which was the beginning of the end of that song for me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. It just got worse and worse and worse. <laughs> so anyway, Chris Kid Rock goes on tour and he's playing that song, and he invites Chris to come see the show. And Chris goes with his wife, goes backstage to meet him, and like goes like deep into the lair of Kid Rock. And he's like alone in a room on like a velvet chair or whatever. And Chris has to introduce himself and says, Hey, I'm Chris Kennedy. And Kid Rock's like, Who? And he goes, I, I wrote Playboy Mansion. He goes, And Kid Rock just looks at him and goes, I thought you were a black dude. <laughs> Like that was the first line, and then it just got awkward. And got awkward after that. (laughs) Then it got awkward. (laughs) Then it got awkward. Yeah. Mike, don't you want to tell your other? Don't you want to tell your other Chicago story while we're here? Oh God. Um. Well, I don't know because I listened to that Blake. Well, I was on that episode, the Blake episode. You were on the Blake. Thank you for coming on there. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, your your check's coming soon. Thank you. <laughs> okay. um, but when I told that Vinny story, Scott's reaction was like something feeling ill or nauseous. <laughs> Don't worry about Scott. Nobody worries about Scott. So this right. story. But you, as a veteran of touring, have to have your stories like this. Go on. I guess I'm telling it. Um, double door, right. baby. Double door. I got some double door uh, stories. Not like this. I hope bet. you don't have one like this. Okay. Uh, so this Gabe is, does. well, I'll preface this with saying it, uh, it's a bathroom-related story. And I always thought the best book would be a, like a coffee table book of like bands worst bathroom stories i'm kind of amazed it hasn't happened because that's all bands talk about right yeah so everyone's got their story mine is particularly tragic i think uh so the setup is just that we we were like done touring for laughing gallery and it was that was probably like the most shows we ever did in a year uh and we just seemed like we were just constantly on the road that year and the final thing we were going to do, we were, we were home in New York and we were going to fly out into Chicago and we had to drive to Detroit and play and then drive back to Chicago um, and do a show at the Double Door, which was like a showcase kind of thing, and mm-hmm. then fly, fly home. And uh, so we drove to Chicago, I mean to Detroit, did our show. But when we left in the morning, we asked the hotel desk like can you give us like a fun weird place to have breakfast she she sends us to some diner and dave and i were looking at the menu and there's pork steak on the menu and we're like we gotta get pork steak like how do you how do you turn that down so that's what we both ate and i blame that because i didn't eat anything else the rest of the day so anyway so we go to chicago you know there's like a fancy restaurant next to the double door Yes. You know okay, so we had dinner there with like record company people. Right. And we get and I love like good restaurants and that, that was always like a thing on the road was like if we could afford it, like right. find the good place and go. And I was really I was excited to eat at this place and we went and I couldn't order anything. I was like, my stomach is like something's wrong. <clears throat> and uh <laughs> so I like struggle through dinner. I don't eat. I had like half a cocktail and then everyone finishes up and we're going back to the double door. And this is like, and someone had flown in. I don't think Brett Gerwitz was there, but like there were high up people from American there and it was important that we do well, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> right. that, that, that was said to us. This, this was is a really, really important night. You guys, guys got to be good tonight. You guys can't do a man cow here. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So we're going down into the basement to the dressing room and I'm like, and everyone's pouring in, you know, all the record company people. And like, this is their, oh, we're going to hang out in the dressing room, like that kind of thing. And I'm like, I have to fart really badly. I'm going to just hang in this hallway and let this go. And then I'll go in and talk to everybody. So when I do that, I think something went wrong with that, you know? Yeah. And uh, the only thing in my like stupidity, the only thing I could think to do was put my hand down the back of my pants to see if I was okay. <laughs> I pull my hand out and I'm covered like fucking 
<laughs> so I'm horrified. <laughs> And I take my hand. I'm horrified. <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets worse. It gets way how can, worse. How can it be? So, oh, not knowing what to do, I wipe my hand all over the wall. In the hall. Oh. Of the club. <laughs> and I ran upstairs because there's no bathroom down there. Or maybe there is, but I, I didn't want to go near those. There people. is now, but there wasn't then. But they put one okay. in right after this happened. <laughs> That's probably why. So I go up to the, not the bathroom by the stage, but the bathroom at the back of the club. I go into that one yeah. and I destroy the toilet, right? And when I take my pants down, my underwear, <laughs> my underwear, my underwear goes straight into a garbage can because it's, it's, you know, it's gone. useless. Yeah. yeah. So I cut and, and my legs are like, I'm covered. Oh, and it's you also, know? it's also evidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, but that's like this. the most public of the bathrooms at the double. Yes. Door, right. But there's no one really there yet. Mm. So, uh, but I'm still supposed to be on stage in like 90 minutes, yeah. you know? And so <laughs> I come out of the stall, but I, I know there's more to deal with, but I have to get paper towels and, and give myself like a sponge bath in the <laughs> stall. So I get paper towels. And at that moment, a security guard from the double door comes in to use the bathroom <laughs> and he goes for the stall. Like I'm at the sink getting paper towels. He goes walking into the stall and I was like, no, 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 no. Like, you can't go in that. And he's like, why? And I'm like, I'm using it. And he's like, are you getting sick? Yeah. And I'm like, no. And he's like, are you doing drugs? Like, he goes, it smells like you're getting sick in here. And I'm like, no. Was it June? The month of June? No, I mean, was it the security <laughs> guard June? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know them by name. Yeah. I don't know. Big, big uh, black guy. He was big. Yeah, I mean, he was just like June. your typical. Probably okay, June, So yeah. I somehow shook him and got rid of him. And I went in and I it sponge bathed. like you're getting sick in here. Yeah. I mean, it was it, like. So I sponge sick? bath myself and I put it all in the toilet and it clogs. Of course. Flows. What, what was this wrong with I, you? I was panicking. Panic. It was total panic. And um, I thankfully had one extra pair of pants with me. And uh, so I clean up as best as I can, but my pants are soaked through. Like you can see it. <laughs> and I have to up, walk out. <laughs> So I walk out of the club, I get into the van, I get the other pants, but I know the double door bathroom is out of commission. Because like, of you. Because of me. <laughs> and I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom again. So I go into the fancy restaurant and it's packed. And I got to slide by people at the bar and I'm Literally. brushing up against people and rubbing against dresses and everything trying uh, to get through. And like Moby. I left those pants in that bathroom, destroyed that bathroom. I think I clogged that toilet as well. Uh, I think there are I... some people looking for you, so I'm going to text them right now. <laughs> uh, and it just got worse. Then I, I like I unhitched the van from the trailer because so I'm like I have to find a CVS and you get shat in the trailer. No, no, no. no. Okay. I'm like I had to get a modium to make it through the show. Oh my god! So. I start driving around Chicago looking for an all night drugstore and I go in there and I can't even go to that drugstore without asking to use their bathroom and having to go more, like it was endless. And I, like I went up to the register with two gallons of water and a pack of Imodium. <laughs> like, like, the woman's looking at me like, 
But anyway, so I took like a triple dose of ammonium and got back to the club and played the show. And then I had to get on a plane after the show in those bands uh, and fly home. It was the best flight of your life. Oh, it was so bad. I thought you did I, something. I thought you got on stage and then stupidly like did like a jump or something. Oh, uh, we were just joking. Like I told everybody, of course, when I got back, I'm like, this just happened. And then I'm like, I'm going to be jumping around. So if anything, like, you know, comes flying at you, here we go. So it was just, they were all well, laughing. I, I, I would like to say that this was a delight to talk to you, but <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> but every, I mean, everyone has some It was a version fucking of horror show. Don't you, don't you want to go down? Don't you wanna go down? Don't you wanna go down? 